Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. U.S. Supreme Court seems divided on Puerto Rico's exclusion from federal benefits. U.S. Virgin Islands Bureau of Economic Research reports Lime Tree Bay closure results in 800 job losses, 1.8 billion drop in economic activity. United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP26, a public relations exercise, says Antigua's prime minister. And Dominica Export-Import Agency signs off on pilot agricultural project with young entrepreneurs. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Wednesday, November 10th. We start our report today with a look at the U.S. Supreme Court case on federal benefits for Puerto Rico. NBC News reports that the Supreme Court heard arguments on a potential landmark case Tuesday looking at whether it's constitutional to deny federal benefits to aging and disabled U.S. citizens living in Puerto Rico, even though they can access them if they live on the mainland. The justices seem divided on the issue as they question Deputy Solicitor General Curtis Gannon as he argued on behalf of the U.S. Department of Justice in favor of excluding Puerto Rican residents from a supplemental security income benefits. These benefits, known as SSI, are meant to help disabled, older, and blind people who struggle financially. They are available to U.S. citizens living in the 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the Northern Mariana Islands, but not for those others in U.S. territories of Puerto Rico, the United States Virgin Islands, Guam, and American Samoa. The issue is being assessed as a part of a case involving Jose Luis Valero Madero, 67, a disabled man who lived in New York from 1985 until 2013 when he moved to Puerto Rico to care for his wife. He had begun receiving SSI benefits in 2012 when he was still in New York until he was told in 2016 that he was ineligible after moving to the island. A year later, the Social Security Administration filed a civil action against him, demanding he pay back over $28,000 in benefits he had received while living in Puerto Rico. Gannon replied on three points to push the court to reverse the U.S. Court of Appeals ruling from last year deemed invalid the practice of denying SSI benefits to Puerto Rican residents, stating the federal government failed to establish a ratio basis for the exclusion of Puerto Rico residents from SSI coverage. One of the points is based on the fact that Puerto Ricans on the island are exempt from most federal taxes, including income tax. Liberal Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who is of Puerto Rican descent, pushed back, saying that Puerto Ricans pay as much taxes, other combined taxes, as other states and unions. Puerto Ricans do pay payroll taxes and help fund public programs such as Medicare and Social Security, contributing more than $4 billion annually in federal taxes to the United States. It's nice to sort of cherry-pick one tax, but that's true around the country, Sotomayor said. 
Differences in taxation limit Puerto Ricans on the island in other ways, including the lack of voting representation in Congress and the inability to vote in U.S. presidential elections, among other restrictions when it comes to accessing federal safety net programs. Senator Mayer said that the SSI program is fully funded by the federal government, meaning that states don't incur any costs when making these benefits available to their residents. About 700,000 people living in Puerto Rico would qualify for the SSI benefit if the Supreme Court rejects the Justice Department's appeal. That would mean a combined $1.8 billion to $2.4 billion annually for qualified Puerto Rican residents over the decade, according to the Social Security Administration. Nearly 44% of Puerto Ricans live in poverty. The appeal was originally filed by the administration of then-President Donald Trump, a Republican. His Democratic successor, Joe Biden, has continued to appeal, even though he promised to ensure residents of Puerto Rico have access to SSI during his presidential campaign, while also urging Congress to extend SSI to Puerto Rico. Conservative justices such as Brett Kavanaugh wondered about the repercussions of a ruling in favor of Valero Madero, including whether other benefits would have to be extended to residents of U.S. territories. Kavanaugh said Valero Madero's attorney made a compelling policy argument, but noted that the Constitution's territorial clause may be something people want to change, but that's not the role of the court. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that the closure of the Lime Tree Bay refinery on St. Croix South Shore is projected to result in steep annual economic declines for the U.S. Virgin Islands, with everything from deep losses in economic activity, nearly 1,000 jobs lost, and a drop of over half a billion dollars in gross domestic product, according to a U.S. Virgin Islands Bureau of Economic Research report. The report issued Tuesday brings into focus the positive impact the refinery was having on the territory's economy, especially on St. Croix, before its closure following a massive flare incident on May 12th, which led to the facility's eventual closure. According to the report, the U.S. Virgin Islands would suffer an annual loss of 632 million reduction in the territory's GDP, almost 2 billion in lost economic activity, along with 800 job losses, with the more significant impact being felt on St. Croix. The closure will also result in 25 million loss in annual tax revenues to the government of the Virgin Islands. According to the Bureau of Economic Research report, Governor Albert Bryan, upon release of the information in the impact study, called the closure of the refinery an economic setback for the territory. He stated, however, that the steady increase of tourism and the many capital improvement and recovery projects ongoing across the territory should more than offset the effect of the closure. Antigua Newsroom reports that Antigua and Barbuda's Prime Minister Gaston Brown has described the ongoing United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow as a public relations exercise, even as he acknowledged that there has been some benefits to the event. 
Brown said that the establishment of the Commission of Small Island States on Climate Change and International Law is likely to be one of the more significant outcomes of the November 1st to 12th conference. The commission creates an avenue through which larger countries can be held accountable for their role in global warming and its impacts on the most vulnerable states. We will be writing to the International Tribunal on the Law of the Sea to get a final determination on the liability. And I'm pretty sure by the next COP for sure, we would have made a lot of progress and this matter will become far more significant, Brown said, who chairs the Alliance of Small Island States. Brown said that the Alliance of Small Island States has detailed a number of issues it wanted to debate ahead of the meeting, including compensation for loss and damage due to climate change from the world's major polluters. The Prime Minister, who is also chairman of the 15-member regional integration group CARICOM, shared the recent views echoed by the executive director of the Belize-based Caribbean Community Climate Change Center, Dr. Colin Young, who said that larger countries were basically kicking the can down the road when it comes to meeting their commitments on climate change. Brown said that among the matters not considered at the meeting were increased subsidies to green energy, reducing fossil fuel, and an increased scale for funding for small islands. We also want to see increased scale of funding so that more monies would be made available to small island states and other developing countries to adapt and mitigate against the effects of climate change and even to have some form of mechanism for compensation for loss and damage. If we do not increase our climate ambitions to reduce emissions to keep global temperatures below 1.5 degrees Celsius, then obviously there will be catastrophic consequences. And the irony about it is that the smaller island states in the Caribbean, in the Pacific, and the Indian Ocean They are the ones that are in the front line, and they are the ones that will suffer disproportionately. We have to continue to fight strenuously to advocate in the most vociferous way to get these large emitters to reduce their emission, Brown added. Dominica News Online reports that the Dominica Export-Import Agency has cemented a one-year deal with two young entrepreneurs to implement their series agriculture e-commerce app, which will collect and process data on sales of fresh produce received and processed at Dominica Export-Import Agency's multi-purpose pack houses. Through this agreement and pilot program, the use of the app will serve as both a proof of concept and a means of data collection for both parties. The brainchild of the series agriculture founder, Alec Lazare Jr. and Diamond Kelshaw, the series agricultural app was created to collect data on farmers, most notably the type and availability of the various produce they harvest and sell and also serve as a platform for interested buyers to assess this data to place and track orders online. 
This app is about creating a very efficient and easy stream of communication between organizations like the Dominica Export-Import Agency, farmers that supply them, and also large-scale buyers like supermarkets, says Lazare, head of research and development at Ceres Agriculture. Under this pilot agreement, Dominica Export-Import Agency will connect Ceres Agriculture to farmers who will make up a test group, providing key information which will be uploaded to the app. This data will be used to understand the viability of the series as a business platform and will be further analyzed to iron out any areas for improvement in ease of use. Data will also be submitted to the Dominica Export-Import Agency for use in enhancing its operations. According to Cashel, head of marketing at Ceres, both parties to the agreement stand to gain significant benefit by the end of the 12-month period. In one year, we hope to amass as much data as possible on local crops, livestock, and our local market and develop the app to make it easier for farmers to use and be applicable to generate public as well, he said. This initiative falls in line with the government's digital transformation efforts recently highlighted by Prime Minister the Honorable Roosevelt Skerritt, who during his 2021 Independence Address on Wednesday, November 3rd, indicated government's interest to spend over $75 million EC on activities to spur innovation, productivity, and growth in several areas to include entrepreneurship development. As the Honorable Skerritt has said, there is no turning back from the digital revolution. Head of operations at the multi-purpose pack houses, Bristol Lawrence sees this as an opportunity and a move in the right direction to help improve the efficiencies of the multi-purpose pack houses. We believe that the series app it will help increase our marketing efforts, especially among young farmers. It's an exciting program, which we believe will help farmers to market and bring greater efficiency towards our efforts at the pack houses. The Roselle and Portsmouth pack houses were constructed with funds from the European Union and commissioned in 2016 with funds from the Government of the Commonwealth of Dominica and the Caribbean Development Fund. These two locations are the main processing plants for fresh produce leaving the island. Apart from processing produce for export, the Goodwill and Portsmouth locations produce value-added products in the form of frozen dasheen chunks, passion fruit pulp, and hot pepper mash. The St. Kitts Nevis Observer reports that Loop, the Sugar Association of the Caribbean, has commended the Belize government for its decision to go before the Trinidad-based Caribbean Court of Justice, alleging that Trinidad and Tobago failed to comply with its obligations under the Treaty of Chaguaramas that governs the regional integration movement under CARICOM. 
This case was not primarily about compensation. It is about ensuring that protections set out in the treaty and reinforced by numerous decisions of the Council of Trade and Economic Development are abided by. Otherwise, the CARICOM single market economy would have very little relative value for any of its members, said Sugar Association of the Caribbean Chairman R. Call James. Under the treaty, CARICOM states are required to impose a 40% common external tariff on brown sugar imported from sources outside the Caribbean region. Belize contends that it has evidence to demonstrate that between November 2018 to June 2020, brown sugar, which was produced outside the Caribbean region, entered the Trinidad and Tobago market without the 40% common external tariff being imposed. Trinidad and Tobago deny that it has permitted the importation of extra-regional sugar from any extra-regional territory without the imposition of the 40% common external tariff. Last week, the Caribbean Court of Justice, which sat on its original jurisdiction, which is in the International Court with exclusive jurisdiction to interpret and apply the rules set out by the treaty and decided disputes arising under it, heard the arguments on the matter and has reserved its judgment to a later date. The Sugar Association of the Caribbean said that over the last three years, it has repeatedly raised its concerns about this practice that has drastically diluted the value and demand of CARICOM market for regional sugar producers. And finally, St. Lucia Times reports via CMC News that the government of Guyana has announced that only fully vaccinated people will be allowed into the country. After the end of November, the mandate will be fully implemented. So unless you're fully vaccinated, you're not going to be allowed. So people have a chance to get themselves in compliance. And once they do that, then they will be able to travel freely, said Guyana's health minister, Dr. Frank Anthony, adding that the measure goes into effect at the end of the month. In an update of COVID-19 guidelines for November, only fully vaccinated persons will be allowed to enter Guyana. But there have been objections from sections of the society requesting time to be fully vaccinated. Dr. Anthony said the government realized that many Guyanese would be barred from returning to the country and as such lifted the policy until the end of November. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Wednesday, November 10th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.